0: Hello and welcome to the Mike Dominic Show. I am, of course, Mike Dominic. Today is July 28th. I have a really great conversation with Jeremy Solar, principal engineer over at System 76. If you don't know, but I'm not sure how you wouldn't if you've been listening to the show for any period of time, System 76 is a Denver, Colorado you know, manufacturer and seller of Linux laptops, desktops, servers, that kind of thing. I'm a big fan, I use their hardware myself. I'm actually recording this on a System76 Lemur. Uh, we talk about Intel, different processor architectures, and a whole bunch of nerdy Linux goodness on this show. It's pretty, pretty good conversation. I think it's, uh, especially if you're thinking of, you know, either moving to AMD from Intel, or if you're kind of, you know, circling, making your approach to the Linux community, definitely worth a listen. The show is, as always, brought to you by my uh, software company, The Mad Botter. If you need anything developed, please reach out to the themadbotter.com. And if you need some automation work done, uh, check out our Rabot product. You can find me on Twitter at Dumanuko and enjoy the show. Hello, Jeremy. How are you today? Doing well. How are you? Good, good. So you're Jeremy Solar. For those who don't know, you—I have to say—you have one of the most entertaining Twitter feeds I've ever seen. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Yeah. So you work at System76 as a principal engineer. What? Okay. Um, now I got to be honest. That sounds very fancy, right? That sounds like being a uh, like a prefect if you've ever been to those kind of schools. What does a principal engineer do day to day, other than imagine great stuff?
1: So the principal engineer's job is to control the engineering direction of the company. So, I touch most of the aspects of the company. For me, it's mostly hardware design that's both electrical engineering and firmware and pop OS. And uh, also, mechanical engineering is not under my domain, but I have a tight integration with mechanical engineering as well. So, any engineering aspects of the company, I know about and I am driving the direction of.
0: Okay. So, when we say electrical Engineering, are we talking like Palpatine pissed off at Luke? Are we talking Electro <laughs> from Spider-Man? Like where on the villain scale would you put yourself?
1: Oh, uh, villain scale, that's a really tough one. I got to know DC or Marvel.
0: Oh, I, I, listen, you may as well say Vim or Emacs. I'm not touching that with a 50-foot pole.
1: Great. Neither will I. Uh, maybe <laughs> I'll, choose, I'll choose a villain from somewhere else. I don't know. I would rather be like Walter White, you know? Not necessarily a villain, but just Complex. some chemist who's gone gone a little bit astray.
0: That explains my lemur I'm working on. It, it, every <laughs> once in a while, gets a little, what is this process? Methamphetamine? Uh, it's kidding aside. All right. So, so, your overall of that, that seems like very low level. So, you're working at the hardware software integration kind of level. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. And all, well, it goes all the way up the stack. So, I certainly prefer to do things at the lower level. But uh, I do also delve into things at the higher level with regards to PopOS, things regarding GNOME, PopShell, the stuff we're working on right now. I'd say the middle of the stack is where things are really, really solid and we are kind of branching upwards and downwards at the same time to find aspects that we can make better for our customers.
0: Okay, so for for ignorant people like me who, when they think about a Linux distro, don't know what the middle of the stack is. Can you give me an example? Like I imagine like the gnome, I'm sorry, not gnome, the pop tiling stuff would be like the top of the stack,
1: right? Right. Yeah. So uh, everything between the kernel and the user interface, I would say is extremely solid at this point. And well, except maybe for the audio stack, but Uh, pulse audio. yeah, pulse audio, but there's work being done there as well. So I hope Pipewire will will fix most of the issues that I have with Pulse Audio, uh, mainly I mean,
0: latency. It, it's literally what I wrote Santa for Christmas this coming year,
1: so
0: I'm just <laughs> Please saying, replace Pulse Audio. There has to be a better way. So, all right, I have to reveal something to you. I sandbagged mm-hmm. you a little. I noticed when I was going through the System76 GitHub pages, a lot of rust. Can you uh tell me a little bit about that? If we have a new project, if it is possible to do in
1: Rust, my team will do it in Rust. That you is, know what the next question that is, is, why? That's just a general rule. And the, the reason is it's easier to maintain. It's easier okay. to integrate with the other Rust that we already have, which, you know, once you get into a language, you're kind of stuck with it. Uh, so, I'm happy to be stuck with Rust because of all the benefits it has around preventing errors, around preventing null pointers preventing uh, dual usage, preventing stack overflows and buffer overflows. These are critical security issues that are very difficult to expose in Rust code, but very easy to expose in C code. So if you're trying to write things that are high performance and they have to be compiled, so you can't use things like Python that do offer some of the safety guarantees of Rust, but at a cost you pretty much have C, C++, and Rust as your options. And I right. see C++ as overcomplicated and not offering the safety benefits of Rust. I see C as an option for a lot of things that we do upstream where the the project is already C, or they prefer to interface with C, or with things that we're doing at the lower level that require C. Currently, the EC firmware is written in C because there's no Rust compiler support for that for that CPU. So, but everywhere else, if possible, we use Rust, and it's because of the safety guarantees and it's because of the borrow checker. Those two things together.
0: That makes a ton of sense. I love Rust myself. I get slightly mm-hmm. different use cases. You know, I'm writing like boring Rails and Python apps that occasionally <laughs> have to process three D files. And I don't know if you know this, Python and Ruby not so fast. Uh, no, yeah, so
1: yeah, they aren't, and it can sometimes seem that they are because libraries like NumPy that are heavily used C++, in HPC, yeah. They're, yeah, they're written in C and they are compiled and then integrated into Python. So, you can have Python code that's high performance. You just can't write much of it in Python. Only the highest layer of the code can be in Python. All of the array accesses and things need to be optimized in a compiled language.
0: Yeah. So... What would you say is, all right, so it's like, I'm trying to picture it, Jeremy, you get up in the morning, you're like- No, that's an um, assumption. Who knows? Well, you're dead. I'm still I mean, in bed right now.
1: Are you no. really? Yeah. I mean, it's COVID days. What are you going to get out of bed for?
0: You know, I was going to ask you about your home office setup, but now that you said you're in bed, I, I think maybe that's an no, NSFW. <laughs> I,
1: so, we have, uh, my wife and I both work at home and we have a room that has basically both of us have super wide, super large desks that take up half of the room. And I've got my three monitors on it. I've got my desktop. I've got two or three laptops on the desk at any time, depending on what's going on. I've got my logic analyzer. I've got uh, my Spyrom flasher, a bunch of hardware tools. That's normally how it's set up and I've got my tiny little 60% keyboard in the middle of it all and uh, it's been a very nice setup compared to at the warehouse when we were before COVID of course, I had just kept acquiring new desks. So I started with one desk and one monitor and then two monitors and then two desks and then three desks and then three monitors. And I eventually just ran out of space. Like there was, I had built a complete circle of desks around me. All of it's covered in hardware stuff. So, I try to be a little more organized here because I only have half of a room worth of desk space instead of the entire room just filled with desks. So, I've got like a stack of laptops that are not currently in use. Just like five or six laptops just like lying on top of each other completely stripped of components. And then I've got a drawer of components and then I've got one or two or three laptops on my desk. Right now I'm working on the AMD firmware. So I've got, I've got the Serval 12, which is our AMD laptop, and I'm working on a new Intel desktop CPU laptop. So this is gonna be a really high performance machine, kind of the opposite of the Lemur. In fact, when you put one of our larger laptops next to it, it makes that laptop look like a lemur. Like you, Wait, you take said- the Oryx and put it next to this new machine, the Oryx looks like the lemur compared oh, to that.
0: Are you calling so, it the Hulk? I mean, that's like...
1: I don't know how much I can say, you know, who cares? It's the new Bonobo. So, ah, our Bonobo the new- has always been, it, it used to be a two GPU machine, now it only has one GPU, but it still has two power bricks, big Intel CPU. It's got an NVIDIA 2080 Super on a removable MXM card and it's got a 99-watt-hour battery or something like that.
0: Um, uh, how did you fit that in the... It must be a bigger case than the old one.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's, was around just, the, the, it's
1: around the same size as the old Bonobo. It has um, 10th-gen CPU, 2080 Super. It has big-ass battery, you know, those kinds of things. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a monster to work on because we're making open firmware for it. And it has by far the m- more features than any other laptop. So, oh, sure. we started with the Lemur. It's a simpler machine, doesn't have NVIDIA graphics, has only the single color keyboard. So, it's, it's a white LED keyboard. Then we moved to the Oryx, which has the RGB keyboard, which requires some more embedded controller work and has NVIDIA graphics and has a higher performance CPU and has some additional requirements because of those high performance parts. It also has a second fan. And then we move to the Bonobo, which is just take, take a very high performance desktop machine and try to fit in a factor that's supposedly mobile. And that is, uh, that is what the Bonobo is.
0: Okay, so you uh, just did a, a lot of stuff there. Let me just try yeah, to sum it sure. up for folks who didn't follow. So the Bonobo is a is a line that you guys have had for a long time. Mm-hmm. A new version's coming out. Sounds like a little more than a refresh though, right? So yeah. you are putting an Intel desktop, not one of the Intel core or the uh I'm sorry, not one of the Intel uh
1: Yeah, it's t- it's not t- word U class or H class. It is gonna be a tenth series Comet Lake S
0: chip. So, you're literally so putting one of the newest is, Intel desktop CPUs mm-hmm. in there.
1: The same thing we have in the Thaleo B1 and
0: Thaleo B2. That, that's not true. All Thaleos must run Threadrippers. I agree.
1: The Threadripper is by, strong our, by far our strongest option. And if yeah, you I have know. the money and you have the space, that is what you've
0: got to get. <laughs> just, just don't underestimate the space. Trust me. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big yeah. chassis. It's a big machine. Yeah, I actually have, this is a tangent, but I have the the Thaleo R1 of the small Thaleo. Uh-huh. And I looked into getting a Threadripper and I, I, I forgot, I think I talked to uh, Sam over there. And he's like, just so you know, it is bigger. I literally yeah. didn't have space on my little fancy bamboo standing yeah. desk for it. Yeah, yeah. so I'm like, oh,
1: If you have the Thaleo... The Thaleo without any adjectives model. Then that is going to be like as small as you can fit a graphics card in. Yeah. Graphics card is literally the limiting factor. Interesting. the Thaleo majors, the next step up are going to be much larger. So, double the length, double the height, you know, it's just bigger. It's just bigger. And then Thaleo massive actually isn't that much bigger than major. But because of Major already being so big, Thaleo massive is so big, we have to ship it in a special case. Do you really? Yeah. We have to ship is it in a Pelican case. Is that uh, like a compliance thing or? No, it's so the larger the model gets and the more components you fit in there and the more expensive the components are, uh-huh. sure, the more important it is that we like the Thaleo, we rarely have shipping damage on the Thaleo.
0: I was going to say, the box and, that I got mine in is pretty like, you you got a lot of padding in there.
1: But I have a strong belief that UPS, the more fragile something feels or the heavier it is, the worse they treat that box.
0: It's also if you ship like IoT boards to clients like I do, if you put fragile and put it in one of those anti-static cases and then in a box, they can somehow sense that it's <laughs> fragile. Yeah. And, yeah. Trust me, I feel your pain.
1: Yeah, so we double box all of our Thaleos. And that has worked quite a lot for all the models up to Massive. Massive just requires more protection and even with all that protection, damage just happens. UPS just treats these things terribly. If I could hand deliver everything, I would because I don't know, shipping companies in general, I, I the boxes I've received, the boxes we've sent, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Like, a lot of our customers will get a pristine box and then somebody has a picture of a box that has clearly been dropped off of a 20-story building yes. or something like that. Yeah. So, we have to ship it in a Pelican case and uh, that keeps it really nice and safe, the massive. It's so large that, of course, it has four GPUs and two CPUs. So, it expands on the size just as much as major expands on the size of the original favorite.
0: Okay. So, just switching back to the bonobo because I can guarantee you when this comes out, you just bought me lots of emails saying, what about the thermals, the thermals, the thermals. So what about the thermals? I imagine you're doing a lot of work on that.
1: Yes. We're still in the process of figuring that out.
0: Okay. Yeah. that, that seems I think like it's going to
1: be a- heavily positive. The thing has 10 heat pipes coming off of oh, geez. and a, a normal laptop will have four. Yeah. This thing has 10 heat pipes, very thick, lots of copper, very large fans. I think it will be very positive. And I've run stress tests on it with, with our current fan curve. Uh, there's room for improvement always, but I think we're going to be able to have the Intel CPU and the NVIDIA GPU when you have the AC adapters plugged in running at full power indefinitely. I, I think the thermal system will keep up.
0: Uh, Mr. Solar, you are an ambitious guy. I wasn't even going to ask you about throttling because I figured you had to do some. But so, you think you don't, you're not going to have to throttle, of course, on AC?
1: Not from the standard TDP that Intel publishes right. for that processor. Wow. So actually, everyone gets as an ODM, they get the opportunity to overpower these processors. You can change the TDP to values that are much higher than what Intel recommends. And you do that on a per device basis based on the thermals. So, our goal is with the recommended TDP that Intel has, do not throttle. That's our goal with every product. On some products, we can go higher than that. The Lemur Pro, if you put it in high performance mode, it can stay at 20 watts when the Intel recommendation is 15. The Oryx Pro, on the other hand, we set it at 45 watts always, and that's the Intel recommendation. And that's both because of the power supply, it has a 180-watt power supply, and because of the thermals. So, for the Bonobo to be able to do 125 watts, which is what that CPU is supposed to be able to do...
0: That's a lot for a notebook.
1: That is a lot of heat being generated, and I'm positive about being able to exhaust that heat. I'm not saying it's not going to be loud when you're doing that.
0: Of it's going to move right.
1: air. Um, right. You have two what, fans you mentioned. What we've found though on the lemur, we're able to, I believe we're able to, to approach a really good balance where we have three different modes. We have the battery saver mode in Pop OS that will make it run fanless and will also get you maybe an hour extra battery life. Then we have the balanced mode where the fan will only turn on if you're running something that peaks one or more okay. of the cores, and then we have the high performance mode where we will run the thing so hot you probably don't want to run it on your lap. Uh, I can attest to that. Yeah, and, and, and that is actually by design. Yeah, you definitely so want pants. I'm just the say, balance. Like, the balance mode is your take it anywhere, do anything with it mode, and the high performance mode is you probably want to leave it on your desk, and you probably don't want to listen to it because. You have told it to run the thing at hardware limitations, not human limitation.
0: Yeah, that's, or like, you know, thigh limitations. Yeah. So, okay, so we have the Bonobo. Now, we've mentioned Intel several times here. You have some, uh, some thoughts on Intel. I-, I heard from a little blue birdie called Twitter. Yeah. Ca- care to share?
1: I'm disappointed with Intel for sure. I'm hopeful for their new She Graphics. It will be open source. It's looking like it will be six nanometer delivered by TSMC if the rumors are, are true. And I really believe they could offer something competitive in that space. But on their CPUs, they are continuing to fail to lower prices, while at the same time they are falling behind on cores, on process node, and eventually I believe they will fall behind on frequency as well the writing is really on the wall for their current generation of of processors we we've seen declining sales on our desktops intel is just not competitive anymore and i hope it changes because if they remain uncompetitive amd will take advantage of this
0: and will raise prices well sure. yeah that's just the nature of market yeah. competition so it's it's interesting i think we should just like point the big glaring apple shipped elephant in the room here four to five mm-hmm. weeks ago apple came out and they're moving to ARM. And I don't know how closely you watch that, Jeremy, but let's just say that wasn't subtle, right? Like the reason yeah. they're moving to ARM. I think they've um, been planning this for a long time, though. Yeah, but, but Intel has been struggling with the process uh, shrink for years, literally, right?
1: Yeah, and that's not really the reason. I think Apple, they're having some, some additional issues, I believe. I believe okay. they're having issues with sourcing the chips. I believe they're having issues with the support they get with the security issues that Intel chips are having. I believe they're having issues with the segmentation that Intel does. The U-class processors and the H-class processors, which are a large portion of Apple sales with the MacBook and MacBook Pro. sure. These processors are forbidden from using things like ECC. They don't have memory encryption. In some cases, they're disallowed to use memory at speeds higher than 2666 megahertz. They, I, It's just
0: continuing segmentation of
1: trying to push people to use Xeon.
0: Right. I think we should just clarify for folks who aren't so familiar with the low level. When you say forbidden, it's because Intel did that intentionally, right? Exactly. To try to, right. To try to sell. So, Intel charges for folks who don't know. You might go to the store or go on System76's site. Like, you know, i7 is faster than i5. But once you get out of that class, they actually charge the manufacturer of the PC significantly more. So that's why like anything with a Xeon in it is going to cost. I I don't even know what the order of magnitude is, but just correct me if I'm wrong, but the cost to you guys as the manufacturer of the PC just goes up exponent, maybe not exponentially, but significantly, if you go Xeon.
1: To say something, we don't really adjust our margins that much across products, we have a pretty standard margin across products. So if you look at the products on our website, especially the desktops, because we have similar costs among chassis for those, and they, they can be compared pretty easily, you can see pretty much what the Intel cost to us is. And you can see, because we have the same margin on AMD products as we do on Intel products, you can see the difference that we are charged for the AMD products versus the Intel products. We don't have any backdoor deals with Intel or anything like that to make their products appear better. So AMD has Threadripper, which has ECC support, which has 64 cores, which has uh, frequencies up to 4.2 gigahertz, which has uh, PCIe4. What is the Intel competitive product to that? The answer is Xeon. If you want a Xeon with that level of performance, the Threadripper the 2990X or uh, the 3990X they're pricing that around $3,000. The comparable Xeon system is going to be 2 to 4 times that. Yikes. For a similar set of components with the same performance. So AMD has commoditized things like ECC. I believe I strongly believe that ECC should be a requirement for all computers. Buying a computer without ECC means you do not value your work. Now, that is a spicy, bold statement.
0: So, just again... I, I for, have good for, reasons for it though. Oh, I, I can't wait to hear them. Just real quick for folks that don't know, ECC is error correcting RAM. So it's RAM that mm-hmm. basically, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say, it literally corrects errors in memory. But go ahead. Why? It's, Why?
1: it's RAM that detects when data has been changed by physical processes that cannot be controlled and then corrects that change, or if the change is uncorrectable, notifies the operating system so that it can notify the user that something terrible has happened. And the reason that this is so important, problems with memory happen way more often than you would think. These are some of the densest, highest performance components in a modern computer. Uh, The only things being built on the five nanometer node right now by Samsung, memory, it's either RAM or it's storage. So, these items are the fastest running buses on any motherboard. They are running at much higher frequencies and much higher bandwidth than anything else. They are extremely tamper unresistant. If physical processes happen, for example, being hit by a high energy particle, these are things you cannot see. Being hit by an electron or a proton or a photon that has high enough energy, that flips a bit. That bit flipping crashes something on your computer, changes something that it's doing. It could change something that the kernel is doing. It could change something that an application is doing. These happen randomly and they are without ECC impossible to detect. They lead to hardware failures that the user cannot debug. They lead to returns of products. Sure. Because the user is unable to identify why things keep happening. Maybe you have faulty RAM, and that faulty RAM simply flips bits more often than it
0: should. Without ECC, there's really no way to, to check. Right. And if the RAM is faulty, it's, you're not necessarily going to have like, okay, Jeremy, I do A, B, and C, and then my computer crashes. It's at some right. random unidentifiable point, my OS just like a locks up.
1: Exactly. My computer does something random at random times right. and uh, trying to debug that is, is nearly impossible. So, I constantly bring up whenever I see something that only happens to one person, the first thing I want them to run is a memory test. Mem test, yep. And I'd, you know, it wouldn't have to be that way because ECC is a pretty much guaranteed way of detecting those kinds of issues. And then when detecting them, notifying the user in a very obvious way that there's a problem. So, if or fixing the error, the majority of these random changes to memory would be fixed by ECC. Uh, And then a very small amount would require the computer to be rebooted. So, and Intel has segmented things so that no one outside of the enterprise willing to pay $2,000 for a CPU space gets to use them. Meanwhile, AMD is allowing the use of ECC memory across their entire product line.
0: All right, well, you know, just like being a heartless capitalist here, isn't Mm -hmm. that an opportunity for folks like you who are developing AMD systems to say, hey guys, we'll totally sell you the Xeon, but if you wanna save like three or 400 bucks or whatever it would end up being, here's this beautiful AMD version, right? To be honest with you, the reason Mm -hmm. I have an AMD Thaleo is because it was like cheaper.
1: Yeah, I think it is It's something that we utilize, of course. Our marketing around the Threadripper 3 is pretty much this is what you want if you are in this high-performance computer space. And, you know, we have similar marketing on the Massive, but the Massive, the only thing we are offering additionally on the Massive that you can't achieve with the Threadripper 3 is dual sockets and four GPUs. But we're currently developing for a four GPU model for Threadripper 3. So, I really see this as, yes, we're still offering Xeon, we get demands for Xeon, believe it or not. Really? Uh, yeah. There are people who are, they don't care. They do not care about competitive offerings from AMD. They're going to buy the Xeon. And whether that's because of features like AMT or or AVX 512, which is still something only supported on on Xeon. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But
0: there are still some things that are only present on Xeon. It's interesting because I know you and I kind of, quote unquote, travel in the same online circles. And Mm -hmm. I I think maybe your experience might be similar where a lot of enthusiasm around the AMD uh, CPUs these days. Like I know you guys are selling an AMD laptop. I'm just seeing a lot of people really into the Threadripper in particular.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm definitely planning to get one. It's just a matter of time. I... I want to wait for big Navi, for sure. Mm. See what AMD is going to come up with with their next graphics line. And I, I really think that Threadripper, we are currently looking into how we're going to sell ECC memory on Threadripper as an option. It only accepts UDIMs, it doesn't accept RDIMs, which is strange because ECC UDIMs are really rare. Mm. But. That's my ideal system is Threadripper 3 with 64 gigs or more of, of ECC memory with a PCIe 4 drive. I think the enthusiast market is definitely moving over to AMD. We've definitely seen that with our customer base. Yeah. There are a very small set of people who are stuck on Intel for whatever reason. Could be AVX 512, could which is an instruction set for for 512-bit vector calculations that AMD does not implement yet. Could be something else. We keep offering both. Basically, until the the sales of Intel products drop to zero, we're going to offer both. And I hope Intel catches up because the reason why Intel got this way is AMD was so uncompetitive for so long that Intel raised prices They engaged in these segmentation practices to try and move more and more people to
0: Xeon when they didn't really need it. Right. They behaved like they had no real competition. Right. Now they, yeah, now they do.
1: And now that competition is eating so much of their market share that eventually, especially with the news about Intel not being able to, to deliver on their 7 nanometer and with the issues they're currently having with 14 and 10 nanometer it seems to me like the market share will flip and AMD might start adopting those same practices. Mm. And that's why we need at least two vendors in this market. And the market being just general consumer PCs.
0: So let me throw a the, the great ARM hope in here. ARM obviously has lots of advantages for battery life. Could we see at least on the mobile side, inter- mobile meaning laptop, not phones, an arm like arm taking over from intel just like on the high-end Threadripper is is eating intel's lunch basically on the i, I don't want to say low end but you know what i mean like on the where you're more concerned with battery life and you know thermals than you are yeah. uh, than you are performance so competitive Could, with the u-class exactly with the yeah i think well that's apple's plan
1: right apple's plan is to develop an arm sock that is performance competitive with the x86 processors they have I think with Linux, we're actually in a better position because so much of the software people use is open source. So, recompiling it for ARM is not really that much of a stretch. There are, of course, things that like you're not going to be running Steam on any ARM laptop. But no Civ 6? Forget about it. No, but Civ 6 wasn't going to run on your integrated Intel graphics anyway. No, it it is not. Like there's still a market where people have the computers (laughs) that rarely run anything outside of open source software or browser stuff. Oh, no. So,
0: I, I have the exact case. My BizDev guy, he runs a LibreOffice and Firefox or Chrome. Right. right. Because all he does all day is, I mean, so, I, this is, yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, his tool chain is, he's a sales guy. Like Even my tool emails.
1: chain, like uh, yeah. everything I use is open source. If, if I've got a compiler and, of course, I can build a cross compiler for x86, I can run on ARM. I'll be fine. I think we want to see... So, ARM has to have third-party available chips that are high performance. And what Apple is doing, of course, will be a first-party thing. These are going to be used in their own laptops. They're going to be so different from other ARM socks that porting Linux is going to be basically impossible.
0: Well, it's Apple, right? They're going to build a a beautiful wall around their little garden. I mean...
1: Yeah. What Apple sells as ARM is really not ARM. It's really Apple. They, they took ARM as a base, but they have created their own instruction set that is completely incompatible with other ARM devices. So Interesting. So, you cannot take those binaries for... Even if you did a whole bunch of work and had something like Wine for macOS, you could not take those macOS ARM binaries and run them natively, on another ARM processor, even if they're both ARM 64 version 8 or whatever. So, what we want to see, you know, we, we've already got the Pinebook Pro as an option. So, it's great. Clearly, the performance is not to the level of the 15-watt Intel CPUs, not yet. So, I think it's just iterating on that and having a third party, maybe it's Huawei with their processors that they're using in mobile phones. Their Kirin processors are incredibly high performance. Maybe if it's another vendor, I know Fujitsu was working on their A64 processors for servers. Uh, And then of course, we've got offerings from Cavium with the Thunder X processors for servers. Right now, we see ARM on server, we see ARM on ultra mobile, you know, the, the mobile phone platforms. I think it will meet in the middle for this use case that System76 operates in at some point.
0: Right. I mean, I I don't think people are going to be, you know, I got to, let me phrase this gently. If you're a buyer considering Xeon or Threadripper, Arm's not even part of that conversation right now, right? Right. But if you're a guy like me who, Jeremy, do you remember the before times when tech conferences used to be a thing?
1: Uh, I'm I'm losing the memory quickly. It's It's fading.
0: I used to always have this annoying problem of, sitting at a booth all day, and I need to plug in my laptop, right? Well, now you've got a Lemur Pro. It's beautiful. And I love that I can charge it over USB-C, which I discovered a week after owning it accidentally.
1: So. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. If, if this could be a public service announcement to, you know, hey, guys, just try. If you've got a mobile phone and it's got a USB-C charger that can do 45 to 65 watts, just try plugging it into your Lemur Pro. See what happens. Yeah.
0: It is longer than the cable that comes with it. So, right. Yeah. Um, All right. So, we usually wrap up the show with two questions. One is stupidly easy and one is devilishly hard. Which one do you want first?
1: I'd prefer to do the devilishly hard one first and also have the second one be devilishly hard. Ooh. Can we
0: do that? All right. I I can twist the easy one to make it hard too. That's fine. Okay. So, So, the devilishly hard one. What should I have asked you that I either didn't know enough to ask you or just failed to ask you? Hmm, that is a lot harder than I was expecting. I guess
1: this question is a really good one to ask. Well, the questions that I would have about System76 as a third party are really, what is our roadmap? Because we know what you guys are currently doing. Uh, We know that you're selling things in this space. Are you looking to expand the product line? Are you looking to decrease it? Are you looking to offer more distros or less distros? what is the future of System76 and where do you see this company heading?
0: Okay, so what is the future of System76? Where do you see it heading? Uh,
1: What I see is we are continually trying to push on the stack to gain more control at System76. And that control we hand over to our users in the form of open source. So we are trying to adapt Coreboot to platforms that has never been ported to before. High performance platforms like desktops, you cannot find modern high performance platforms that have open source firmware right now. Laptops that are running the newest chips. At the same time that we're trying to port the most popular systems, I think we we are trying to take a look at what is going to be the next big thing. And I think ARM and RISC-V are really going to be pushing the boundaries very soon. x86 might be a diminishing market in the Linux space. The future holds something different. I know this has to be true. x86 can't be around forever. We're seeing the decline where basically, if the answer is copy paste your cores at 7 nanometer indefinitely with the same clocks, eventually we're going to hit a wall. I don't know what that wall is going to mean for system 76, but I think it will be interesting. As we've driven so far down on the stack for x86, maybe the next step is for us to find the ARM vendor who is willing to create a high-performance CPU, similar to what Apple's doing. Meanwhile, at the top of the stack, who knows what the future holds? Is GNOME really the the be-all end-all? We are tightly integrating ourselves into it with Pop!OS, the same with Ubuntu. We are tightly integrating into Ubuntu. And I want to see System76 question, what does the ideal open computer look like? And that may move us away from what has brought so much success, which is to have an Ubuntu base and x86 hardware.
0: That Now that is, whew, there's a lot there. I've been curious why there's no like XFCE or KDE version of POP. And I think, I'm sure the answer is like resource constraints. It's just not worth it. But it's, uh yeah, whew, that GNOME thing. I'm just going to let that in the air. Yeah, there's a Yeah, when an extension can bring down your whole system that's bad. So, okay, so the, let me tell you what the easy question usually is. It's usually what is your daily driver hardware and software wise. But I'm going to make it harder for you since you asked for that. So, what is your daily driver hardware and software wise, and what is the worst thing about it? I don't have a daily driver. Interesting, okay. I, I have multiple daily drivers.
1: Oh, uh, so I can, I okay. I strongly prefer to eat dog food. So, I am always working on whatever laptop I am trying to develop firmware for or developing drivers for. And that means almost always having an imperfect experience that needs tweaking. Uh, oh, nice. And that that's actually where I prefer to work because in that kind of experience, you're almost forced to develop certain things. Like, I'll be working on a laptop where I have to have the chassis open because... I need to have debugging equipment connected because it's not doing something correctly. And those constraints kind of pressure me into finishing the work. And the worst thing about what we have I think is lack of control over motherboard design. This is something where we're going to be taking a very deep dive on very soon. It allows us to really nail down what the laptop looks like and what kind of features it has. Right now, we are picking and choosing from ODMs and make no mistake about it, that's pretty much what every Linux laptop company is doing, but we want to go to the level of control that Apple has, of course, with the level of freedom that they don't let their users have.
0: You know what, Jeremy, best answers to that question I've gotten in the entirety of the show. Cool. Jeremy, thank you for coming on. Uh, Where can we direct the good people to find you online?
1: Well, to to Twitter, Jeremy underscore Solar, and that's J E R E M Y underscore
0: S O L L E R. Awesome, and I'll put that in the show notes. And uh, feel free to come on again and leak any new product announcements that you want. That was uh, fantastic.
1: Who's to say we don't have more to talk about?
0: Oh, I'm I'm sure we front. do. Oh, I know uh, there's a I, <laughs> leak the keyboard a few, about two months ago. So I
1: anyway. oh no, it's never a leak if it comes from the company.
0: That's right. It's on purpose.
1: Yeah. That's the thing that always bothered me about tech leaks. They're intentional. It's marketing. Don't believe it. Yeah. (laughs) All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. See ya. Bye-bye.